You're listening to audio from Cities Church. You can find more resources and learn about our ministry by visiting citieschurch.com. So, Father in heaven, we come now as a church praying that you would build your kingdom here, here, in a seemingly hard place. Build your kingdom here, Father. And would you be pleased to use us? Be pleased to involve us, engage us. We're not alone in it. We are your church. And you have sent us here. So would you meet us now in your word in this important season of rehearsing our rootedness in this life of our church? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Seven years ago, right now, in 2014, a group of would-be founding pastors and their wives were meeting together to discuss whether God might be calling us to plant a church, and if so, what kind of church might that be? What kind of call would God have on us as a founding group of pastors in our particular city. And we began talking about God calling us to be worshipers and to be servants and to be missionaries. We worship Jesus, we said. And we love one another. And thirdly, we said, we serve the cities. From the beginning, we sensed a particular call to this metro, It was not just a call to be the church anywhere. We weren't sitting around praying, God, just make us a church somewhere. We met here. We knew each other from here. God had sent us here in his varying ways, and we sensed a call to be his church here, to plant here, and then to plant churches in these twin cities. So much so, we put the word cities in the church name. This is not Prairie's church. It's not Lake's church. This is not North Country church. City's church, as in the twin cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. And then when we went to create a logo for our church, the designer, I think very astutely, put a river down the middle. Now, our logo from a distance looks like a fancy cross. That's what you're supposed to do with church logos. It looks like a cross. But then there's other meaning than just the cross. There's a a river across the middle. That's the Mississippi River. And then there's three skyscrapers on either side. And depending on whether you're from Minneapolis or St. Paul, you can decide which one is right side up and which one's upside down. I live in Minneapolis, our boys play baseball in Highland Park, and I can tell you what the St. Paul people think. And they're probably right. And of course, the Twin Cities refers not only to the two downtowns, but also the whole metro area that has grown up around our two cities. And we had this in mind too when we call it Cities Church. We hope to be in the city, 
in the central metro, near downtown Minneapolis, or near, near downtown St. Paul, or in that space in the middle along the I-95 corridor, a few blocks north or south. And we wanted to plant churches all around the metro. It was a metro vision from the beginning. And as you may know, a place to come by in the city is really hard. It was hard to find a place to rent to gather a couple hundred people on a Sunday morning. And we anticipated it was gonna be even harder to find a place to buy in the central metro. And God was really kind to us here. Just over a year ago, we bought. And here we are, 1524 Summit Avenue in St. Paul with a call to be rooted in these twin cities, in the central metro, with downtown St. Paul, three miles this way, and downtown Minneapolis, three miles that way. Here we are. As Jonathan mentioned in the welcome, we began our Rooted series two weeks ago with our first and most important value or essential, Jesus. We worship Jesus. And then last Sunday, we talked about the church. We are the church. We love and serve one another in the life of the church. And then today, we focus on where God has sent us, the Twin Cities. We serve the cities, we say. It's on the back doors. We are worshipers of Jesus. We are servants of each other in the church. And we're missionaries to these twin cities. And in God's providence, and through what we hope has been a careful, patient discernment process among the elders and leaders, we think that now is the time, of all times, when the civic market has taken a serious dip with pandemic and riots and unrest, we think now's the time to remember afresh our calling as a city church and now to put down our roots in the city. In a rootless time, in a restless city, we are calling you and us to put down roots. So what we wanna do this morning is consider afresh how God sees the city. We wanna see the city like God sees the city. What is the place of the city in God's global purposes. And then, what is our calling, particularly as a church, first and foremost here as a church, with respect to our city, and what it means to be a church in the city and for the cities. So first, let's consider the draw of the city. The draw of the city is that it brings out our best. That's number one, the draw of the city. It brings out our best. Cities are dense settlements that resource us as humans. They enrich our lives. They challenge us to grow and improve. Cities expose us to new ideas and to more talent and make us think outside the box and develop our skills. We encounter people both with whom we can trade goods and services and who are better than us and push us to be better than we have been. Cities also serve as refuges for minorities and immigrants 
and for the poor, for the homeless, which as Christians is a draw for us. Mark that. That is a draw for those who claim the name of Christ. Cities are places where people are restless, where people are often off balance and they're seeking spiritually. Urbanites are often open to new ideas like the gospel and to change of life like Christianity brings. Also, cities are influential among a surrounding region. Influence goes out from the city center to other places. As cities go, so goes the world. Paul's missionary pattern was to impact the cities, the urban center, and then he moved on to the next city. And he saw the influence go out from the city in which he invested. Cities are where the people are increasingly. This is an amazing thing. 300 years ago, 3% of the world's population lived in cities. Today, 80% of the world's population lives in urban areas. And in our own state of Minnesota, more than half the residents of Minnesota now live in the Twin Cities metro. So first, there's the draw of the city, that it brings out our best and that it is influential and thus strategic for the sake of the gospel. But secondly, as we all know, perhaps far too well right now, there are drawbacks to the city. The city can provoke our worst. That's number two. The drawbacks of the city, it can provoke our worst. Cities are like magnifying glasses that bring out both the best and the worst in humans. So at the same time, cities can be the best places in the world and simultaneously the worst places in the world. We all think fondly of the mid-90s culture of Mighty Ducks and Kevin Garnett coming to the Timberwolves. That was the same time Minneapolis was being called Murderapolis. Cities are magnifying glasses. Every human city has its underbellies. And as many of you know, cities can be hard for young families. There has never been a time when the city of Minneapolis and the city of St. Paul did not have its drawbacks. But the depravity of our city is all too familiar to us right now. We remember the sorrows and the fears and the anger of the last week of May, just nine months ago. We watched in horror as a man stopped breathing in the street in police custody and his death set ablaze a waiting powder keg in our cities. And they burned. Minneapolis had 1,300 properties damaged, 100 completely destroyed. And it wasn't just Minneapolis. St. Paul had 330 properties affected. And in the end, right here in our own city, in our backyard, was the second most destructive period of local unrest in United States history, save only the 1992 riots in Los Angeles. And the jury selection for the Chauvin trial begins tomorrow. And I hear downtown Minneapolis looks like a war zone a little bit. 
When we ask how God views the city, we don't ignore the drawbacks and the depravity and the danger. I saw an article just this week that said, today's Minneapolis is where Minnesota nice turns into Minnesota nasty. Let me be clear. It is easy to take a swipe like that. It is easy to be cynical. It is easy to hate. It's easy to sow division. It's easy to incite fear. It is easy to encourage flight. Doomsday chatter, we'll see this in Jeremiah 29. Doomsday chatter is easy with your carpet and your keyboard. You know what's not easy? Service. What's not easy is love. What's not easy is solutions. What's not easy is hope. The kind of heart that leads to prayer and the kind of service that leads to peace. This is the battle for many of us right now. This is our battle. The best of the city drew us here or kept us here for a long time. And now the drawbacks of the city threaten to provoke not just the worst out there, but the worst in here. Or just send us away. For some of us, the roots have never been so loose. Wyoming and Montana and the Dakotas have never looked so good. Wide open space and as few people as possible. What do we have here? Well, we have the cold, we have crime, and now we have carjacking. And it's very easy to be cynical. To some extent, all of us have had our roots challenged in the last year. And here we are, as a church, talking about putting down roots, becoming rooted in a time like this. Maybe God would have some perspective for us from outside our own time in a very strange place. Babylon. 2,600 years ago. In Jeremiah chapter 29, God's people, after centuries of unbelief and idolatry, are in the process of being expelled from their promised land, just as God promised from the beginning in, Deut in Deuteronomy that it would happen. In 605 B.C., this is about more than 600 years before Jesus came, Babylon marched on Jerusalem installed their own puppet king, carried off a first wave of exiles that included Daniel and his friends. Then Babylon came back seven years later and they took away a second wave of exiles. This included Ezekiel. Finally, a decade later, Babylon marched on Jerusalem a third and final time, three strikes and you're out, and destroyed the city and carried off one final wave of exiles. Jeremiah 29 
contains a letter from the prophet who's still in Jerusalem writing to the exiles in Babylon shortly after that second wave of exiles in 597. The doomsday voices of the false prophets had been prophesying that Babylon would soon fall and the Israelites would get to come home in short order. Chapter 28 tells about one particular false prophet who said within two years God would break Babylon and his people would get to come home to Jerusalem. So the message of the false prophets was the exile will be short. Don't put down roots. Don't settle down. Wait. Wait for it. Wait and see what happens. Let's see how it plays out. Chapter 29 then is a word from the prophet Jeremiah, the true prophet. And verses 5 to 7 is the heart of his message for the exiles in Babylon. And it is a shocking word to the exiles in a foreign wicked city. Look at verses 5 to 7, Jeremiah 29. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply here, God says. And do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The exiles must have been stunned to read this letter from the prophet Jeremiah. Babylon? Put down roots in Babylon? Do you know how strange this must be for the people who, like David wrote in Psalm 122, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Jeremiah says, pray for the peace of Babylon. Why? To begin with, the false prophets in verses 8 and 9 are wrong. He cautions them against the false impressions that they're hearing in society. It will not be within two years, he says. Jeremiah does, for speaking for God. Actually, verse 10, it will be 70 years. 70 years is a whole lifetime. 70 years is three generations. Your sons and daughters, their sons and daughters. In other words, the message to the exiles is you yourselves will not see Jerusalem again. Your grandchildren will, but you will spend the rest of your days in Babylon. So Jeremiah begins with the bad news. Your exile, which you're hoping will be short, will not be short. It will be the rest of your life. However, there's a double-edged sword here in verses 10 to 14. 
And this is significant. This is the turning point in the message of Jeremiah right here in chapter 29. In one way, uh, here's how Gordon McConville, Old Testament scholar, puts it. He says, in the death of exile are the seeds of new life. The letter, in verse, chapter 29, begins to reverse the hitherto bleak preaching of the prophet. In other words, this letter, the letter where he clarifies, no, no, the exile is not two years. The, le- the exile is 70 years. This letter, this letter to the exiles telling them that the exile will be long, not short. This is the turning point in the message of Jeremiah. This is where his bleak preaching, where he has been oriented on the impending judgment, now turns a corner and he looks beyond the coming doom to the brilliant hope to come for God's people. God is indeed disciplining his people in exiling them to Babylon. But he is not done with his people. He has not abandoned them. Even in Babylon, he's not abandoned them. Even in the very city, proverbial for wickedness. No, it will not be two years. It will be 70. But then he says in verse 10, I will visit. Visit. You remember the visit of God as Joseph spoke about in Genesis chapter 50? Or the visit of Exodus chapter 4 and chapter 13? This is where God has visited his people before in a foreign land. He visited his people in a foreign land and brought them out. He says, I will not may, I will fulfill my promise and bring you back to Jerusalem. This then is the context for famous verse 11. And you, as Marshall read, you probably heard verse 11. Say, oh, I've heard that verse by itself before on a coffee mug. Not usually in the context of Babylon. In Babylon, with 70 years of exile ahead, God says through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, there is a promise, not a possibility. It's a promise, a promise of a future city. And in that hope, Since the exile will not be short, God calls his people to put down roots for their grandchildren, for their great-grandchildren. Do you have the capacity in your soul to be motivated by a hope that you yourself will not experience in your lifetime? like planting an oak you very likely will not see the oak in its full glory 
You are planting the oak for future generations. So what about us? I mean, Jeremiah 29, this is the old covenant. We are not God's ethnic historical people in the same way that Israel was. This is 2,600 years ago, and it's Babylon. This is not the same situation that we face today. However, many of you see this. We, too, are exiles in a city that is not our final home. The Apostle Peter writes in his first letter, which we hope to turn to 1 Peter after this rooted series, as he writes to those Christians in the first century, he says, to those who are elect exiles. That's a beautiful term for Christians. Elect exiles. And then in chapter 1, verse 17, he refers to the Christian life in this age as the time of your exile. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And not just Peter, but Hebrews. In that great faith Hall of Fame chapter, Hebrews 11, he says to, about those who have gone before us in the faith that they, are, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hebrews eleven thirteen, In Christ... Our citizenship is in heaven, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, which makes us exiles for now. Even as we are citizens of these earthly cities in a secondary sense. If putting down roots in Babylon would be the way for God's people as exiles to not only survive but multiply and leave a legacy, might putting down roots be our calling too in these twin cities. Not just for our own lives, for our children's lives and our grandchildren's lives and our great-grandchildren's lives. Planting oaks, not buckthorn. You might say, okay, roots, yes. Roots in some place. But why here, of all places? Why this restless metro? When there's cold, I'm glad it's a warm Sunday. It makes it a little easier to preach this message. And there are new calls to defund the police. And all the downsides of city life are far more pressing in our consciousness right now. It's not going to always be the case. Why stay here? There are people here. A lot of people here. For whatever reason, despite the cold, people came and lived here. More than three and a half million people live here in the 12th largest metro in the United States. And they need Jesus. And what the last year has revealed with questions about justice and law enforcement 
and rising crime is that we have plenty of needs here for Christians to serve. Our city needs more salt and light, not less. If the Christians leave, what does that say about our gospel? When we come when it's easy and cool and leave when it's tough. No, this is a very good place to be a Christian. This is a place to answer the call to love. God put us here for this. He didn't put us here for times when it felt cool and trendy and there was regentrification. Like he put us here for the tough times. Cities Church, this is where God has planted us. He sent us here. We are here. But how then do we endure in such moments like this, in seasons like this one, when we feel the downsides of the city and we forget about the draw of the city? Finally, number three, we look to the destiny of the city. It anticipates the city to come. There's the draw of the city, the drawbacks of the city, and finally there's the destiny of the city. It anticipates the city to come. And that city to come, as you know, is the new heavens and new earth. History began in a garden, and it ends in a city. In Revelation chapter 21, what does the apostle John see coming down out of heaven as the new heavens and new earth? It's not a hobby farm. It's not a shopping mall with a parking lot. As you know, probably very well from getting here this morning, parking can be hard to come by in the city. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, here's the best part, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. I'll meet you in the city. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away, we need to hear this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death in the streets and in the hospitals will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. There is in all of us a longing for the perfect city. With no downsides, no crime, no carjacking. A city that actually doesn't need police. No pain, no mourning, no death. And often our frustrations 
with our earthly city stem from us trying to get now what God means for us to have from Him only then. In the city to come. The reason that we can be rooted in these cities with all its problems, all its struggles, all its drawbacks is because we are looking to another city. And so our roots can go down deeper in these twin cities. We have deeper roots than Minneapolis. We have deeper roots than St. Paul. We have deeper roots than this metro or any earthly city. And so we can love, we can serve, we can put down roots in this city with its ungodliness without demanding anything in return. Because this is precisely how we have been loved and served by Jesus. When we were ungodly, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. This is our gospel. Christ came and he put down roots for more than three decades among us. And he gave himself for us, not when we were righteous, not when we were deserving, when we were neat, when we were weak and we were needy and we were at our worst. This is why Christians can love and serve the city. Not because the city deserves it. Minneapolis doesn't deserve Christians. St. Paul doesn't deserve Christians. We're here not because the city deserves it, but because it's our joy to do it for others, like Jesus has done it for us and continues to do it for us. And as the church, we are not alone in it. Our roots are together in Christ as a church. So let me close then with three brief calls. What this vision and message means for us as a church is, is way too countless to be teased out in many ways. Let me give you just three ways that we want to pursue this as a church as we close. Number one, pray for the cities. Do you do that? Pray for this metro. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. If God's people could pray for Babylon, can we not pray for Minneapolis? Pray civic prayers like the book of Acts. There's an Acts 5 prayer that God would fill the cities with faithful gospel teaching. Pray that. Pray in Acts 18 prayer that God would have many in this city and that he would call them to himself and that we would not be afraid but go on speaking and not be silent. In Acts 19, that the gospel would move out from these cities to the surrounding regions and that as we put down roots, like Paul put down roots in Ephesus, and all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, because Paul planted himself in Ephesus. So let's pray for these cities. Second, then, let's seek the peace of these cities. Verse 7, 
Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For some of us, that may mean that our posture toward the city needs to change. And posture can slowly change and develop incrementally over time. In other words, we want to serve the cities, which you can't do if you despise the city. You can't do it very well. And you don't love its people. You can't seek the peace of the city while despising it. But as we love our neighbors, we come to love our city. And now, at City's Church, with this permanent address on Summit, there are ways for us to grow as a church as we become rooted in serving these cities. And then third, put down roots in the cities. This is the shocking verses 5 and 6 in Jeremiah 29. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply here and do not, do not decrease. If God's people could build there in Babylon, plant there, marry there, give in marriage there, put down roots there, why not we exiles today? Let's multiply here and not decrease. Let's not wait and see. We need to wait and see how it plays out. Let's put down roots together as a church. Let's be the best citizens of the Twin Cities who love this place and love its people all the more when it's hard because we're planting oaks. As we come to the table here, um, a final word for those who may be considering moving out of the Twin Cities because of new fears or the drawbacks. We want you to know your pastors will not assume the worst. There are many factors in these decisions. There's family factors. There's job factors. We know these things are complicated. But we would ask you to seriously consider, amid the many factors, God's heart for the city. Please do not leave from fear. And consider this. As the body of Christ, it is a good time to be in the city. We want to be the kind of people who move toward needs, not away from them. And if anything, as a Christian, this is a great time to move to the cities. And as we share the table here, as we did last week, look around the room. We share in this table together. God is not calling you into a solo exile in the Twin Cities. We are the church. We eat together. We are the church together. We put down roots together. So pastors, if you'll come, we'll bring around the cup and bread together. Retain it. And then we'll eat together. His body is the true bread. His blood is the true cup. Let us serve you.